0: Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Junkyard Golf Fest. Hill. We have the whole group with us Friends this Kip Adams and Benjamin Wolfe coming to you on Tuesday afternoon, getting ready for week four of the college football season for the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, busy week for Georgia, going back into non-con play for a little Saturday night action against UAB. Uh, ben, I'll start with you. Uh, made it through the first conference game. You know, we, we handled our business, took care of business, had a lot of stories, a lot of content. Uh, how we feeling getting back into non-con action?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess we got to make something out of UAB week, huh? I mean, I I, I don't want to poke too much fun at Kirby here, but it did feel like he almost forgot to even acknowledge UAB at the start of his opening statement yesterday. He was bringing up, uh, you know, the where Georgia fell in the University Public University World Report um you know he brought up the injury report and then he opened up for questions and said oh yeah and of course UAB obviously as well you know we got a lot of respect for UAB so I guess he like many of us you know are uh, not as not as dialed into the game this week I guess as maybe we were last
0: week it felt a little bit like a media days opening you know listening to it after the fact and I kind of do think Kirby was like UAB, yeah, we're playing, staring at his hand where he had it written on his hand. But, uh, (laughs) hey, so goes it, especially at this point in the season. Uh, Kip, how is this Tuesday treating you as we get ready for another home game and another night game in Sanford Stadium?
2: Another night game. Uh, Who would have thunk it? Uh, You know, these were the noon Warriors uh, the last couple of years. We talked about just – such a big program being number one and then all the early games they have. And now, uh, you know, who who had UAB as a night game uh, written down on their schedule? Um, credit to you. But, yeah, I'd like to hear Kirby talk about Trent Dilfer for, for about 5, 10 minutes. I'd like to get his thoughts on, on and off the mic about that. And uh, you can't forget how big this game was just a couple of years ago uh, when the lead up to, you know, the, the game against the Blazers we were talking about. Carson Beck getting his first start potentially and then, you know, Stetson Bennett rolls out there and throws five touchdowns. So, you know, that, that, that was a big game. I, I remember uh, getting to cover that one um, for the site and thinking, like, what is going on here? You know, so maybe we'll kind of feel that w- way again uh that's about as much as i can excitement as i can drum up for for this week but uh, other than that uh, you know still a lot going on obviously a huge recruiting weekend for for georgia and you know it was a big football game that, that, that went down as well so there's still plenty for us to talk about
0: no doubt about it. Before we get into that South Carolina game, I did want to go ahead and send our well wishes from the three of us to Nick Chubb. Very gruesome knee injury on Monday night. Looks like he is done for the season. Going to be a long road back. Uh, we're definitely sending in positive thoughts for him because that was a very, very brutal injury and uh, definitely tough to see for such a, a great guy. You know, He was a fun guy to cover when I was still in college. Uh, definitely rooting for him to get back on track. All right, guys, let's talk about that South Carolina game. 24-14, to Georgia comes back from a 14-3 to deficit, uh, scores three unanswered touchdowns in that second half to come back and win that game. I'll start with you, Kip, especially a few days removed from it. Uh, What sort of sticks out to you about how that game played out or if you have lingering questions from how that performance uh, played out for the Bulldogs?
2: One thing that still kind of stands out to me is just the number of possessions, you know, uh, the first half. You know Georgia, you know only getting the ball what, uh, what was it four times in the first half. Um, it, it makes every possession just you know that much more critical. But also, I think tempo became kind of a you know a big focus in that third quarter. You know they kind of switched it up a little bit, knowing that hey, if we're only if we're only getting this many possessions, we we got to change it up and give, give ourselves a you know, more things to work with as far as being able to put points on the board. But obviously everyone's going to focus on uh, the first half and probably ignore the third quarter. Uh, Kirby kind of pointed that out, you know, uh, did anyone watch the third quarter? Why are people still talking about the first half? So the, the one quote that kind of stood out to me from that game was just Kirby talking about that the identity. And that's something we were talking about. In the last two years, Georgia had a, you know, a statement game to begin the year. We, we knew what this Georgia team had. South Carolina game, you know, out there, weather not great. Uh, this is one of those games where you kind of figure out a little bit more about the team, and, and I think you kind of did. So uh, definitely you know that they have a guy in DeJon Edwards who can make things happen, and that's kind of a, a focus that they need to have moving forward is that you have a running back who can make guys miss, but uh, you also have to – throw the ball to set up the run and that's where I think the kind of identity settled in where they started throwing the ball not just five yards but down the field a little bit and it opened everything up for that offense.
0: Ben how about you you were with me there in Sanford Stadium watching that game play out what sort of sticks with you a few days after the fact?
1: I think it really just depends what lens you want to look at the game through. I mean, to Kip's point, I think we all know, and we're, we're on the message boards. We know there's the people, there's the faction that want to focus on the first half. And then there's the faction that probably will focus a little bit more on the third quarter. Um, you know, my personal opinion is, and I think Kirby alluded to this after the game as well. Like, what were your thoughts at halftime? What was going through your head at halftime as you were down 11 points? And what he said was, "I'm about to find out what kind of football team I have." And I think that that's what we found out on Saturday. Was down 11 at halftime. The offense had been sputtering early in games, or however you want to describe what the offense has looked like early in games, it wasn't getting, you know, punching in opportunities into the end zone. So you're down 11 at halftime. And I think that a lot of people in Sanford stadium were uneasy at halftime. I know Jordan, we made a couple comments to one another thinking like this really could go either direction here. And Georgia came out in the second half and really had a flawless opening possession to start the third quarter forced a three and out. And all of the energy that you've seen from past two seasons where the defense has, Force three and outs and the energy around that has just sort of created the momentum that Kirby Smart called out as well. And then you go back down the field and all of a sudden Georgia's in the lead and all of the anxiety and tension that had been in the building throughout the first half really went away. And so I think that we found out what kind of football team Georgia has, and that is that when it gets punched in the mouth, it is going to fight back. I think that we've seen that at times throughout the last two seasons. And because this is a new year, you can't really feel confident in thinking that this team is going to be able to do that until you see it actually do it. And we got to see that on Saturday. So I think this was a good test. I think that it happened earlier in the year than what we've been accustomed to. Um, but I, I do look a little bit more at how Georgia responded at the start of the third quarter than how they might've you know, played throughout the course of the first quarter. Half, But I will say on that first half side of things, a a lot has been made of the slow starts. And that's just a phrase that we keep hearing and I'm sure we'll keep hearing it. But it's one that frustrates me a little bit just because I don't even know what it even means. Like, are you saying, like, if you go down the field and you have a 75 yard possession and then you, you miss a field goal or you kick a field goal, was that a slow start or was that a you didn't punch like you had some red zone inefficiencies, which I think that maybe is more the conversation that needs to be had than slow starts because Georgia hasn't been as successful in the red zone as they've wanted to be. But Dominic Lovett said it yesterday. He thinks that that's more just the nature of what's happened and how the drives have ended than any diagnosis for what it means for this Georgia football team going forward.
0: I think that's a great point. And to what Kip brought up earlier, your margin for error when you don't finish those drives with the new clock rules makes it you know it's so much smaller. And, and you look and – it should have at least been seven to six at halftime and Peyton Woodring misses a short field goal. Um, and, you know, I think something that kind of to drive the point home about the clock, both those quarterbacks, man, were dealing in that first half. I mean, you know, the reason so much of that clock went the way it did was because there wasn't very many incompletions. You know, they kept completing the ball, kept the, the clock running. I'm very impressed with, Really, how the whole team responded, and especially Carson Beck. You know, Kirby's talked about that the guy never gets rattled. He's never too high, too low. I thought that was very clear on that first possession of the third quarter. Because if Georgia doesn't score there, or if they go three and out, you know, I think you could kind of feel it in Sanford Stadium where it's like, oh my God, we're in trouble. Like, you know, and the rain wasn't helping. Uh, But they went right down. You know, I I thought his throw to rah -Rah Thomas may have been the play of the game because it really got them going. I think it was about a 36-yard completion. You know, Kirby, I thought, had a good handle on it when he was going into halftime and said, you know, we get the ball to start the second half, and that's big. And, I mean, they showed it. They got that touchdown. Special teams, you know, we had a lot of questions because of the kicking struggles. But Makai Muse goes down there and nails that kick returner. They have a penalty on that kick anyway, they started on like the eight and the defense really showed up and, and kind of the rest was sort of history from there. I mean, uh, other than that, Dejon Edwards, I, I kept you know feeling like it was hard to grade the run game through two games because he wasn't available. And I've been convinced this whole offseason he's going to be the leading rusher. And I think he showed you why a lot of people have that kind of belief in him because of what he was able to do. Um, you know, again, I I wrote about this after the fact credit to the offensive line for how it played after Marius Mims got hurt because he goes down and and some of us were talking at halftime and, uh, someone asked, does Georgia win this game? And I said, no, you know, I I thought how they'd started. I thought Mims getting hurt. Uh, I was like, they just, there's too much thrown their way. And I I thought that offensive line would struggle without probably their best lineman. And they showed up to the task and and they got the job done to help Georgia stay undefeated.
1: One exercise I always like to do with this, too, when games are close is like, all right, what can be what can other teams mimic? Like, what can other teams take away from this as their recipe to beat Georgia? And quite frankly, I don't think there's much that you can take away from this. I mean, you look at South Carolina's first touchdown of the game, third and 16 screen pass. Georgia just misses a bunch of tackles, takes bad angles, gives up a touchdown. You're not seeing a Georgia defense do that very often. I don't think that forcing yourself into third and sixteens to start the game is a great recipe to, to beat Georgia. So I don't really look at, you know, obviously didn't give up any points in the second half, had a two minute possession. I don't look at much other than, I guess, to Kip's point. I think a lot of teams will probably take the way that Kentucky has played Georgia the last few years and drag out first quarter possessions, try and limit the number of touches that Georgia has. That's really probably your best bet to beat this Georgia team right now.
0: Kip, you let me know if you agree with this. I feel like the recipe, if anyone was going to have it, was to have a Spencer Rattler. We talked about in the lead-up to that game that you know several of us on the beat were saying, is this going to be the best quarterback that Georgia faces in the regular season? He put up a heck of a case, and I want to make the point, too. His final stats, it does not paint the picture. He was like 19 of 23 with about 9.45 left in the game, and then it just got away from South Carolina. They had some drops. Uh, I thought he played an outstanding game
2: it also helps to have an Xavier Leggett out there a guy that's basically reminds me of the old Miss receivers they used to run out there I mean like Dante Moncrief, Laquan Treble, AJ Brown just those those big physical guys DK Metcalf as well like just those guys that are I mean as soon as he's on the field you're like who's that joker I mean he's big and physical talked about that in, in the pod last week I wanted to see how they matched up and I mean, they looked for Dale and Everett early, and they tested Georgia in coverage early. But at the same time, I, th- I think Georgia made some some great adjustments. Uh, Spencer did not have as much success in the second half, wasn't nearly as accurate. You know, they, they made sure that they got pressure on them. So while, yeah, that might be the recipe, not everyone's going to have that quarterback-wide receiver combo, and it's always kind of been that recipe. If you want to beat Georgia, you're going to have to have elite quarterback play. Also, an elite pass catcher that can win one-on-one battles. But I think Georgia may have, again, adjusted and kind of changed – made the blueprint a little bit harder just with the adjustments they they made in that third quarter. So, uh, yeah, sure, you can try that. But at the same time, Georgia's going to – they're always going to stop the run. And they did that again against South Carolina. I think South Carolina – they had, what, like 50 yards rushing. It was less than four yards of carry. I know that. At that point, you're one dimensional. So if it, that's how Georgia's always going to be, you know, you're not going to run on us and you're going to have to throw all day and it's not going to be very efficient. And that's ultimately how it ended up. So uh, I think if you're looking at the defense and you're, in, you know, in that first half, that's definitely a thing where I'd, I would just kind of just wipe the board clean because you, you saw what the defense can do in the second half. And I, I think there, again, there's a lot of young guys in that team. Uh, there' a lot of room for growth there and a lot of reason to kind of be excited just about a lot of uh, the players that Georgia does have on defense out there.
0: Before we turn the page to UAB, let's just look around the SEC real quick. You got Florida beating Tennessee. You got Alabama looking gettable against USF. Mass hysteria, dogs and cats living together, just all kinds of things we were not anticipating. I'll start with you, Ben, and I have an idea where you may go with this. Uh, But what, what strikes you about how things have played out in the SEC so far and sort of the look at the conference around Georgia?
1: Well, I mean, my big takeaway is just that I think there's five undefeated teams left in the SEC, including Georgia. And it's if you asked people at the beginning of the season to name the other four, I don't think that they would have probably gotten all four of them right. I mean, it's – what is it? It's Kentucky, Missouri, Ole Miss, and Auburn. Correct. And so it's a a weird motley crew of undefeated teams remaining in the SEC, which is a sign maybe of where the conference is this year. I guess my question for Kip is, at what point am I allowed to revisit my Florida take? Like, what does Florida have to do – over the next few weeks for me to revisit it and maybe pat myself on the back for it. I, I don't feel like I'm there yet because of the way they played against Utah, but I'm obviously feeling myself a little bit more than I was a couple weeks ago.
2: Hey, what I said about Ford is that they needed the the pound the rock and then that's what they did. Uh, you know, don't ask Graham March, the merch to win football games for you Win at the point of attack and Hey, credit Billy Napier, you know, uh, for maybe figuring that out, uh, I I think you have a game manager at your quarterback position who probably should be an assistant manager. I mean, let's be honest here. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, I think we we can kind of flip the script a little bit right now with where we thought Tennessee might be in the conference or, and where Florida is. But uh, I don't think that you know Florida's uh, kind of pushing for that upper echelon in the conference. I still think. Missouri shown more than they have so far this season so yeah I mean uh they have one of the best ground attacks one of the most talented running backs in the SEC a strong backfield um let's let's see what they can do with it but right now uh yeah I mean put some respect on Brady Cook's name um he he could start for most the most teams in the SEC right now because right now I mean you're you're looking at some some struggling quarterback play in the conference I mean Alabama's going back back to square woman Jalen Milrow this week uh, against Ole Miss. I think that's going to be such a fun game. Uh, you know, just what's happening in Tuscaloosa right now with one of the what, you know, the rankings say is the most talented rosters in college football. It's, uh, there's some expectations right there. Uh, and I, I don't know, they're hanging on to, to being a top five team in the conference. So we kind of talked about Texas A&M being like that a couple of years ago with underachieving with that recruiting class. I think right now I You got to look at the Crimson Tide as being, you know, the most underachieving team in the conference early this season.
0: I would say uh, to the Alabama point, I mean, I want to see that game against Ole Miss and how they show up. You know, Giffen's throwing out there. that Kevin Steele may not be calling the defense. I mean, it just looks like an absolute mess. I'll say this, too, to Ben talking about Florida. If Florida finishes second in the East, if they come in second behind Georgia, I will. Uh, I'll get you a painting of the uh, the Florida offensive lineman putting up his dukes against Tennessee. I oh. think that's fitting for for the <laughs> for the uh, projection you had, your prediction on Florida going into the season. Cool. Yeah, so, I'll, I'll hang it proudly somewhere that's not in the background of the podcast that we do.
2: I'll have yeah, it my background.
0: <laughs> I love it. I think that's the move. We'll take a quick break. Come back and turn the attention to Week Four. Georgia getting ready to play UAB. Welcome back, everybody. Turning the attention from South Carolina to UAB. Georgia getting ready to play the Blazers on Saturday night at 730 Eastern Time. Uh, Ben, you were on hand for the press conference on Monday. Kirby Smart, Smile Munden, uh, Malachi Starks, Dominic Lovett, a lot to say. Kirby uh, dug into a lot of the injury issues that Georgia's dealing with. A few other topics like Carson Beck, the red zone offense that we mentioned earlier. What were your biggest takeaways from what you heard from Kirby, as well as some of the players who got up to the podium?
1: It's hard, especially given the nature of some of the news, to not gravitate toward the injuries. I mean, it was the first thing that Kirby brought up, mentioning that Ron Corson had told him that it was the longest injury list that they'd had since he'd been there at Georgia. Also somewhat uncharacteristic, I felt like, of Kirby to bring that up, you know, on a whim, right, to start a press conference. But I think he knew the nature of some of the questions that were going to be coming, especially around Amarius Mims, him having to get that tightrope surgery is very not ideal uh, for Georgia's offensive line. So I think for me, the biggest takeaway from that press conference was the news about a Mims. There was obviously other injury updates on guys like Lad McConkey, who doesn't sound like he's going to be back for a little while. Javon Bullard, who sounds like he was pretty close to playing on Saturday against South Carolina. And he looked during pregame, like he was moving pretty well. He was very active, as a dressed-out member of the team on the sideline as well. Didn't play any snaps, though. Um, But I think it was really the Amarius Mims news that was going to be the major takeaway from that press conference as well as what it means for Georgia this week along the offensive line. I mean, I think we saw how Georgia adjusted mid-game and shifting Xavier Truss out there to right tackle. Kirby seemed to be fairly pleased with how trust played on a, in a pinch like that. And also, you know, things that that flexibility gives Georgia a lot of options in terms of what they do at the offensive line. Kirby was asked about that yesterday. And he said, I don't really know what that's going to look like yet. That's going to be determined throughout this week based on, as he always says, how guys practice, but also what the availability of other guys like Austin Blasky is going to look like. And I think that is ultimately going to determine who is the best five that Georgia can put out there. This isn't a situation where Georgia has to figure something out for a week. This is a situation where Georgia sort of has to figure out what is its offensive line really going to look like for the foreseeable future for the next several weeks of the season. And I think this is going to be a big week for figuring that out. Obviously with the run game, maybe not getting going the way that people would have liked. Obviously Dejon Edwards brought a little bit of that back. This is in, you know, it's not the best timing for Georgia to have to try and refigure out its offensive line with arguably its most talented guy out, you know, for the foreseeable future.
0: Definitely something to watch. I will say, you know, you need, you know, you would uh, like to have a Marius Mims. I mean, he's a future NFL guy, very bright future. Uh, But the timing is good in the fact that it does look like Austin Blasky will be back, a guy that was, you know, pushing Ernest Green neck and neck to start a left tackle definitely makes that situation a little bit easier in the fact that you do have a few options. If you decide to go with it, um, you know, reading through the transcripts, Kirby talked a good bit about Carson Beck, thought he had some interesting things to say. There showed a lot of confidence in the, in the red zone. He made sure when questions were sort of targeted toward the offense, he was like, Hey, we got to step it up on defense too. And, and I think, you know, we kind of hit on this looking at South Carolina, the way that game started. How much different the conversation would be if on third and fifteen they don't give up a screen and Juice Wells scores on it? You know that might have uh, sort of turned the tide of that entire game. Um, but uh, you know it, it was really interesting as you brought up at the jump, Ben. Uh, it kind of took Kirby a few minutes to really talk about UAB at all. You know he did uh, speak a good bit about Trent Dilfer. Mentioned you know not that close with Trent. You know former NFL quarterback, longtime ESPN analyst. Um, and, and going in his first season as UAB's coach. Uh, but talked about, you know, every once in a while they would reach out if there were quarterbacks they were evaluating, sort of get a feel uh, for what uh, Trent thought. And, you know, he's getting his chance to be a college coach, um, trying to lead this uh, Blazers program. They're 1-2 and two right now, beat North Carolina a They've lost the last two games to Georgia Southern uh, and UL Lafayette uh, this past weekend. Uh, you know, this sets up as one of those games, especially – when you consider the injury situation Georgia's in, I mean, the timing honestly couldn't be better because this is going to be a situation much like uh, what we saw with how they handled Dejon Edwards those first two weeks. Kirby said, you know, after both the UT Martin game and the Ball State game, hey, you know, Dejon could have played, but, but they didn't, you know, they didn't play him because they didn't need him. You know, they were playing uh, inferior opponents. They're not going to say that, but that's exactly what the situation was. You look at UAB. This is a team that I don't think is going bowling. I think there's a lot of uh, overhaul going on there. We'll see what Trent Dilfer can do and, and if he's up for the challenge. You know, I'll be honest and say I have my doubts about that. Um, but it sets up Georgia uh, to be able to to give guys another week to get ready for the first road game when they play at Auburn next Saturday. Um, when you look at it, Kip, I mean, to me, this sets up as a as a get right game in the fact of. Just trying to get guys healthy, uh, get through, add another win, and then get ready to go back into SEC play.
2: Yeah that that twenty point loss to the region Cajuns it, it was not near as close as it as it looks the scoreboard. I mean it was there were like three minutes left in the third quarter and it was twenty seven nothing. You know UAB had even gotten on the scoreboard, and then you look in the fourth quarter it was forty one to three. Uh, they were able to roll off three straight touchdowns to make it look somewhat respectable. But uh, like I said, they um, changed their identity offensively. They got Jacob Zeno in there from Baylor, uh, just throwing the ball around, you know, throwing it almost 40 times a game. And that offensive line is it's not built for that. And that's why uh, they were sacked either seven or eight times last week. So yeah, for Georgia, it should be, you know, maybe a get right game for for that defensive front, uh, you know, off of uh, some some tough looks. You know, having Jamon Dumas Johnson spying Spencer Rattler uh, didn't go as well as I think Georgia planned. So get him, you know, figure it out what you're going to do against uh, Jacob Zeno. And as you said, who's going to be your right tackle? If it's Xavier Trust, then again, the left guard reps are crucial in this. If you're rolling Dylan Fairchild out there again, great. Get him out there and get him as many reps as possible because you have a hostile environment on a team that's playing well right now under Hugh Freeze. Uh, You guys know as well as anyone. uh, When Auburn's playing solid football, that's one of the top two, three most hostile environments, you know, in, in the SEC in college football. I mean, that's a tough place to play. And so Georgia's got it, still got some growing up to do. And we're talking about, you know, still an inexperienced quarterback in Carson Beck. Every rep counts. That confidence level is really crucial because that that road test is, is right there, right around the corner. So, yeah, stay healthy, but also, you know, get humming. You know, get this offensive line, find the guys that the best five. If Austin Blasky's in there at one of those positions, well, he obviously needs some reps because he, he hasn't had him actually, you know, in, in a game. We've talked about how versatile he is and just, you know, how well he's practiced in his time here. But actual game reps are going to be really important. So, in my opinion, he's still that guy that, you know, you probably want to have as your your next man up at multiple positions because of that versatility. But you, you need to get him in this game. So, that means you, you got to have be in a situation where if he's not starting, you're able to rotate him in. Uh Again, this is a huge game for snaps, and they need to get those in on that offensive line so that they have the guys ready uh, to protect Carson Beck, but also to, to get that running game going uh, next week because, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to need to be firing on all cylinders in what's going to be now one, one of the more entertaining games probably in the SEC next week.
0: Ben, what about you? What do you want to see out of this matchup with UAB and, and the things you're looking for from Georgia in this non-con game? Um, maybe it's
1: for my own sanity at halftime, but I think that I'm looking for Georgia to have a really good first half so that I can get the word slow starts out of the Georgia lexicon. Um, I think that, you know, to your point, we've seen Georgia have early game success early in seasons the last two years. And because of that, any questions about the offense and what kind of firepower it might have went away very quickly. And I mean, I guess, ironically, it was the UAB game two years ago where, you know, I guess maybe this is a Carson Beck revenge game, right? The I should have started two years ago game for Carson Beck. And maybe that's where all of this kind of goes away because there was sort of similar, I guess the last time that there was really this kind of conversation around Georgia's offense, even though I think that it's gone away a little bit because of the second half last week, but was after that no offensive touchdown game against clemson going into uab week two in 2021 when it was like all right can this offense really get anything going what's it going to look like when you get up against a tougher opponent are you gonna be able to move the ball whatever that might be Um, so it would just be nice i think for the offense to do what it is very capable of doing against any team but obviously against a team that was down 41 to 3 against louisiana
0: Chunkyard Dog asked on YouTube if we felt like the offensive line improved uh, when Truss moved over. I don't know about the line as a whole, but I did think that Truss played better moving from right tackle to left guard, which was really surprising to me. I mean, because it's been a while since he's been in that spot. Uh, Either of y'all got any thoughts on how that line looked after the move?
2: I gave Dylan Fairchild a game ball because I thought uh, that offensive line lacked identity before that. And he came in there and just started moving guys. I mean, uh, I, I honestly think it helped Cedric Van Pran too. He looked a lot better in, in the second half after kind of well, there were some, you know, some loose protection, some protection issues there. And so I, I think it got. Yeah, I think I was really impressed with Dylan Fairchild. We've been hearing about, you know, just how strong he is, how how physical he can be. And I think he showed it out there. So, it, it, yeah, I'm I don't know what, say, Sarles is going to do. Obviously, practice is big, but. I thought that was the the best five. I mean, like obviously Marius Mims NFL talent out there, but I mean it's it's funny what happens, uh, you know, when you have a diversity. And I think Xavier Trust definitely looked more comfortable. He was able to be more physical. Um, as long as they're not facing, you know, an elite speed rusher, I, I think that he he can play really well there. And so yeah go with the hot hand and i think that's that's the best group right now the best we've seen them look so far this year so uh, i agree with them
0: any score predictions for you guys and put you guys on the spot i'm saying georgia 48 uab nothing Uh, i have been very very anti this trent deal for hire don't see it going well this year don't see it going well in the years to come Um, but i'm gonna say georgia gets its first shutout goes 48 nothing to beat the blazers
2: I'm going to go 49 I nothing. I don't think there you know no no uh no unmakeable kicks in this game. I uh, don't I just don't I don't want to see it right now. Uh that's I know again weather whatever last week young kicker uh just uh just stick to the PATs and, and and get and get ahead to next week. I I want to see those transfers. That's what I want to see. I want to see RaRa and Dominic Running down the field, you know, being thrown to open, full stride, explosive plays, and I think they get them this week. So forty-nine nothing. Me, I have zero faith in what Trent Dilfer is doing at UAB, at least right now with with how that team looks.
1: I'll go. I'll keep the shutout trend going. I'll go forty-two nothing. Um, I guess I'm still trying to figure out the clock rules and whether or not that really is impacting some of these score predictions and things like that. I was thinking that in the first half of this last game, where I've been predicting Georgia to be hanging 45 plus on everyone. It's just like I wonder if that's going to be possible for most of the year against a team like UAB. Obviously, you would think that it would be, but I just think that possessions
0: are limited to like Kip said. Benjamin Walt, noted hater.
1: <laughs> that's not that's nothing new there. Nothing new there.
0: Right, right. Uh, Let's get into the Georgia men's basketball minute before we wrap up this episode. Some big news to watch next Thursday, September 28th, Bishop Boswell, a four-star combo guard, 6'4", 195 from Myers Park, North Carolina. He has Georgia among his final schools as he gets ready to make his decision. It's Georgia, Tennessee, Xavier, Wake Forest, Missouri. This is going to be one to watch if you are a Georgia men's basketball fan. Bishop was in town uh, as as well as Connie Ruths, who was also with him uh, for the South Carolina game, a big-time target. He's the biggest uh, guard that they've got left on their board. They had gone after Austin Swartz, who a few weeks ago committed to Miami. Uh, I think Georgia feels pretty good about where it is right now from what I've seen and what I've heard. I think it's really Georgia and Wake Forest for Bishop Boswell. We know how hard it is to get talent out of the state of North Carolina when it comes to basketball. Uh, but that's going to be a commitment to watch, and he's going to be committing on 24-7 sports at 5 p.m. Eastern on Thursday, September 28th. Uh, so that will be a big one to watch. Georgia does not have a commitment yet in this upcoming class, uh, but this will be a big opportunity, and going to be interesting to see if they can bring him in. On that note, we're going to wrap up this episode. I appreciate everyone who tuned in watched us live. Thanks to Kip and Ben for popping on to uh, talk about uh, the week that was and get ready for another week of Georgia football. So for Kip Adams and Benjamin Wolk, I am Jordan Hill. Until next time, take care, everybody.